Amen. So 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. We're basically going to be looking at the principles for marriage. Principles for marriage. And I know we've been, um, you know, touching on um, or taking on this series of family, um, looking at, you know, what it is to be, you know, within a marriage, within a relationship, um, you know, um, and and the certain roles that, um, you know, we play within that family structure. Um, And something that's been pretty clear over the last couple of weeks is that um, God, you know, has designed a marriage between between a husband and a wife and, um, you know, he's designed the husband and wife to stay united, to stay united, to not separate, Um, basically to have this unity within the marriage. And in tonight's message, we're going to be looking at a couple basic principles to live by so that we don't allow the enemy um, to come in and cause separation within the marriage. So it is more of a practical session. um, And for, for, you know, some of us, it relates to us, um, you know, now because we're, we're married. For some others, you know, marriage is a couple of years off. Um, but I pray that we can take something out of it, you know, because um, as we've been learning, the world has a different view on marriage. The world has a different view on what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a wife, um, what, what it is to be submissive um, over one another. Um, and the word is pretty clear tonight. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I don't have to add anything to it. Um, but I pray that you guys do see how... God has designed and God has established um, the marriage and these principles that we ought to live by. Um, and the benefit or, or the, you know, the purpose of it is so that, as Paul says in, in verse 5, is so that Satan doesn't come in. Satan doesn't come in and, and, and cause separation, cause chaos, cause destruction within the family. That's really the purpose of these. These are the things that we need to look out for. So principles for marriage. Um, Looking at 1 Corinthians, such a great book. I don't know if you guys remember when we studied it a few few years back. Um, But, you know, um, just a bit of background as to the Corinthian church. They were in all sorts. They were a troubled church. Um, If you recall, this this church was founded in in the city of um, Greece, basically Corinth. And it was such a vile and corrupt place. It was, um, you know, it was termed Sin City. Like it was... If you wanted to go to a place to sin, you would go to Corinth. This was the place to be. Um, Due to its location, where it was sort of situated between two lands and and the sea, you know, there was a lot of movement with, you know, basically a lot of trade, a lot of ships, a lot of freight that would come in. There was a lot of slave movement as well. Um, And so what happened is you had a lot of people coming into this city to basically relax and and just, you know... um, wind down and and what took place in this city was a lot of sexual immorality um you know to be called a corinthian was to be known or was to imply that that person was someone who practiced sexual immorality or practiced um you know fornication a woman that was known as a corinthian was deemed a prostitute such was the place you know if you if you were called a corinthian then you were assumed to be um someone who practiced sexual immorality or sexual acts And like we've studied before, you know, typical of any Greek city, they worshipped the the goddess Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love. Um, And if you recall, they had this temple, they had this um, huge temple at the top of the mountain, and there was hundreds, if not thousands, of slave girls that would go 
out in the evening, out into the town, and they would perform sexual acts. And that sexual act was considered a worshipping sort of act to the god of Aphrodite, um, the goddess of love. So this was a city that was very corrupt. It was a vile place. Um, you know, it was, you know, that all sorts of things happen into it. And sort of bang in the middle, we have this more church that Paul has established. And Paul is trying to help out these guys. And to give you an insight as to these types of believers that were within the church, you know, Paul in chapter 5 says that they used to be sexual um, they used to be people who practiced sexual immorality. They used to be idolaters. They used to be adulterers. They used to be homosexuals. They used to be greedy. They used to be drunkards. They used to be abusive. They used to be scammers. And the list goes on. So you can see that this city was corrupt and the church was right bang in the middle. And the church was influenced not just by the city itself, but a lot of them were from that city and a lot of them used to have that past life. So you can imagine as they got together, they had all sorts of issues. They were dealing with such a level, such a vast level of, of paganism, of godlessness and, and perversion in that city, in the church. And so Paul, he's doing his best to basically write to the church at Corinth and outline all these issues that they are dealing with, several issues regarding to sin. Um, you know, talking about this unity within the church, talking about um, all these, you know, people were taking, brothers were taking each other to court, you know, over, over little things. And so Paul is saying, you know, um, you know, Paul is addressing these issues to the church. And he says in chapter four, if you guys don't sort it out, then I will come to that church with a rod or I will come to that church with love in a spirit of gentleness. And what he meant by that was, if you don't sort it out by then, if you continue in the sin, I'm not going to tolerate it any longer and I'm going to bring discipline to you guys and it's going to be dealt with harshly. Or the second option is that you sort yourselves out and I will come to you and I will visit you with a spirit of gentleness. So it's basically saying you have either or. I can come and bring discipline if you guys don't sort it out or you listen to my instructions, you listen to what I'm saying and I will come to you with a, with a spirit of, of love and gentleness. But the church was just, you know, really in all sorts, as we studied before the Corinthian church, they were just, there was issues of division, there was issues of immorality, there was chaotic worship, there was a lack of theology in Christ. They were always trying to outdo one another in terms of holiness. You know, they were, um, you know, trying to do one out, out, trying to outdo one another in spiritual gifts. Um, you know, one was speaking in tongues, and the next person beside him would be trying to speak louder in tongues and, and trying to speak more elegant. Um, and he was basically, you know, trying to see who was the more spiritual person. And then we come into chapter seven, and Paul starts addressing these issues within marriage, within the married couples. Um, and it's important to understand that the Corinthian people who were basically Roman, um, from Roman descent, they were so foreign to the concept of a holy God. They were so foreign to the concept of God's laws, His decrees. So they didn't really understand, you know, where the Jewish would have some understanding as to what marriage meant, what, what, what it sort of looked like. The, the, the Corinthian people had no understanding. You know, to them, marriage was basically 
it was just a, a title, you know, they, they were constantly exchanging partners, you know, it wasn't an issue for them. In fact, um, it sort of stated that the lower class of people, uh, marriage really didn't exist for them. It wasn't a thing for them. So you can imagine, you know, people were just sleeping around, they had numbers um, of partners and it was limitless and they would perform more sexual immoral acts with several people without any remorse, right? It was a place of fornication and adultery. It was just a common thing in that city. And to throw, you know, you throw on top of that the fact that you had Aphrodite, this goddess, who would basically send her slaves, her prostitutes into the city to sleep and perform sexual acts as a way of worship to, to this goddess. It was just, you know, corrupt in such a vile place. It was considered sin city. So it gives you this understanding or lack of understanding of marriage that the church would have. To them, it was basically, you know, a title. And chapter 5 tells us that it was so bad, this concept of marriage, that within the church, one of the members was actually having sexual relations with his stepmother. And it wasn't a hidden thing. It wasn't something that was, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that was shameful to them. Um, you know, they were sort of prideful about it. They were going out and it was well known within the church. So it shows you the sort of level of corruption within this church when it comes to the sanctity of marriage. It was tainted because that's all they knew. That's all they knew. That, that was their, their way of marriage. They would just sleep around with whoever, exchanging partners, performing all sorts of sexual acts, and it was common for them. And now it's at this point in chapter 7 where... Some of the people within the church thought that because of what's happened and because of what we're seeing and because of what the city is doing, all sexual acts are considered sin. And, um, you know, they completely disregarded the purpose of marriage. So they were basically saying that it would be better off if we abstain. It's, it's better off if we don't have any sexual relation at all. They're basically saying you're better off being single and thus by being single, you would be considered holier. You would be considered more holier than anyone else. And again, as, as, uh, as I was saying before, the Corinthians were all about, you know, competition. They were all about, you know, trying to outdo one another in terms of being holy. It's who could speak the, the loudest in tongues? Who could speak the most in tongues? Who could, give, who could do the most gifts in tongues? It was always the mentality of, look at me, I'm closest to God because I do this. I'm closest to God because I haven't done that. And so this mentality came through, the idea came through that if sex is considered a, a sexual sin, then let's abstain from it altogether. Even those who are married, let's let's just be. We're better off being single, and 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 that way we'll be considered holier than everybody else in the church. And so we get to verse one, and the best way to understand this portion is to basically go through the text and look at the questions that Paul is answering, because in verse one it says, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote." See. At that point, the church really, they were so confused. They had no, they had no idea. They were confused among themselves. And, and the only option they had was to basically write to Paul and ask him the question, what do we do? 
On the one hand, they were thinking that, um, you know, sexual immorality, immorality was um, okay, that it was, it was okay with some believers. On the other hand, they were basically saying, no, all sin, all sex, all sex altogether is is, is a sin, we're better off being single, you know, um, and, and some were even thinking that some who were married were even thinking of divorce as the best option because they considered sex as a sin. So they were confused about the whole situation. Should they marry? Should they, should they stay single? Um, should they leave the husband or wife, etc., etc.? And so they come to Paul and ask for guidance. And many people in you know, like writers, authors, and, and, and teachers, they all think that this particular portion, they tend to write this off because it almost comes across as if it's Paul's opinion. You know, it, it, it's Paul giving his, his opinion as, to, as opposed to a command from God. And we see in the next portion, if you read on, that Paul does give his own opinion. He does actually give his own judgment rather than command from God. He says in verse 25, I have no command from the Lord, but I'll give my judgment. In other words, this is what I uh, ascertain. This is what I, I, uh, I think is, is just. Um, and that's why people sort of disregard this text because they, they sort of say, well, it's not really a command from the Lord. It's actually just Paul speaking you know, freely. So we really shouldn't take this for, you know, for what it's worth. But let's not forget that 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the very breath of God. So this is God's words. And I know that Paul does say that, that it is his judgment. But at this point in time, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what he's writing down is basically the instruction from the Spirit. It's the words of God. So we ought to consider it. And this is part of the word of God. This is his command. So the first principle, verse 1. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Keep in mind we're talking about principles of marriage. Principles of marriage. Now Paul is saying that it is good for a man not to be married. For a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. He's saying it's good. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. If the man decides to stay single for his whole life, that's okay. There's no wrong in it. There's no evil in it. He's not saying that it is bad to get married or that being single is better. He's just stating that it's okay to be single. It's okay to be single. I think in those days and even nowadays, you know, there's this sort of odd notion if, if, if a person who remains single doesn't get married for their whole lives, it's almost like something's wrong with them or, or they're hiding something or they've got a secret life. But Paul is saying here, is if, if, that, if the person wants to do that, if a person is fine with that, then that's okay. That's not, that's not evil. That's not a wrong thing to do. In fact, in the next portion at the end of chapter 7, Paul explains that there are some good aspects. There are some benefits in being single, mainly that you can devote yourself completely to God, you're not burdened with the, the extra responsibilities that come with being a husband, where you, you have to love and, and take care of your wife. You're not burdened with the extra responsibilities of being a father, where you've got to provide for your children, you've got to take care of them, you've got to be the head of the family. You know, yes, they are blessings within themselves, but Paul is simply stating the obvious. When you get married, that comes with greater responsibility. It requires your time, it requires energy, it requires attention, care. And the reality is that our, our time is short. 
you know, we, we don't have a lot of time here on earth. So when you're part of a family, when you have a wife, when you have kids, when you're a husband or a wife, um, you know, you have to dedicate a lot more of your time to your family than you would um, have time for God. But if you're single, you can seek after God and you can devote your whole time to God. And that's what he's saying. If you are single and you're okay with it and you can abstain from that temptation, you can be on your own, then it's okay. As long as you have a mindset of living a life devoted to Christ. So there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong for a man to not want uh, relations with, with a, a woman. As long as you devote yourself to Christ. As long as you devote yourself to Christ. This is good. That's what he's saying. Verse 2, he goes on to say, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So... This is the general rule, right? A lot of us, the majority of people will fall under this category. This category to get married. Why? Because of temptation. Because of temptation. Paul is saying that you're better off getting married if staying single is going to lead you into a downward spiral of sexual sin. And keep in mind that the end goal for Paul is that these people, the church, the believers, flee from sexual sin. Remember, he's preaching to people that belong to Sin City. You know, so he's trying to keep it as basic as possible. These people, all they know were, was, was sexual sin. It was a life of sexual sin. So he's trying to basically simplify it, make it as easy as possible for them to understand and to live by it. He's saying, if you can manage being single, you like being single and it doesn't lead you to temptation, it's okay to be single. But if it's going to be a struggle, if you're going to burn with passion, if it's going to lead to um, adultery or fornication in your life, the best thing to do is get married. There's no high ground. One is not elevated more than the other. Um, it's whatever just fits you. You're not in sin if you remain single. You're not in sin if you marry as long as you're not practicing any sexual immorality, whether single or married. So being single is good. It's okay. Being married is also good. And keep in mind what we've already established in the previous um, messages, that marriage is good. God has designed marriage for several reasons. He's given that as a gift. He's given that as a, as, as, as a blessing to our life. The, 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 the blessings in, in procreation, you know, that we are making um, children in the image of God, that we are made in the image of God, that's a blessing in itself, that we have a partner to, to you know, go through life with. You know, as he said in Genesis chapter 1, it's not good for man to be alone. So he, he created Eve for Adam. You know, for, for the pleasure um, in a marriage between a husband and wife in the purest sense. But most importantly, he gives us this picture of what Christ is to the church. That he is the, the husband um, and that we, the church, are his bride, his wife. And we ought to portray our marriage, what the love of Christ in the church looks like to the world. In you know, a husband and a wife. So marriage is good. God has established it. He has established it um, for our benefit, for our blessing. And keep in mind that when we're reading this portion, Paul says each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Not man and man, 
or woman and woman. This goes against what God has already established. And we've seen this in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. When men completely reject Christ, God gives men up. He gives them up to their sinful desires. And this is seen as the act of homosexuality, which goes against God, um, which goes against what God has established as the natural order for marriage. And basically, that's a sign of saying, I've given you up, you can fulfill your desires in sin. You can, you can go out in sin and that's seen in homosexuality. And ultimately, what comes is the final judgment upon the people. And we see that now, today, where homosexuality, where same-sex marriage is being considered and is being, you know, um, you know, laws are passed so that you can um, undertake this. And it's just, you know, we're seeing that we're, we're living in those final ages, we're final, final days before the final judgment comes. Verse 3, he goes on to say, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, For the wife does not have the authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And um, we'll finish with this. Some of them had come to the conclusion that all sex was evil. It was better if they, you know, even while they were married, they would not participate in any sexual activity whatsoever with their partners. Um, and the problem was really how perverted the society had made sex. They were exposed to really vile acts and, 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 and it was public and it was people participating in adultery and fornication. And so they had associated sex with evil. They believed that they were better off not doing it, taking the high ground, as if by not doing it, they were upright and honorable, seeing sexual relations as a kind of defilement to their bodies. But Paul says, if you are married... If you are married, husbands and wives, then it is your duty to fulfill each other's desires. It's your duty as a wife or husband to show physical affection. That's the way God established it. It's for procreation. It's for pleasure. There's a right and holy way of doing it. And it's only done through a husband and a wife. That's it. Nothing outside of it. Nothing added to it. It's simply a husband and a wife that are married to one another. And this is one of the principles of marriage. You are to care for one another in that respect. It's not seen as an evil or sinful thing, but it's seen as a good thing to express your love for your husband or your wife. But again, it's within, the, it's within a marriage. It's, with, it's basically a husband and a wife. Nothing added to it, nothing taken from it. A husband and a wife. Paul adds, he goes on to add that you can withhold yourself for a time, for a time where you need to devote yourself to prayer, where perhaps you know, there's an urgency in your life and you require complete communication, complete prayer with God. But even after that, Paul instructs um, the, the couple to come back and get together so that Satan may not tempt one of you for the lack of self-control. And again, Paul is simply putting out these you know, these guidelines, these principles, so that people would stop participating in anything that might cause or lead them to sexual sin. 
So Paul's message here is to stop depriving one another. That is not part of God's plan. Not part of God's plan. God doesn't ask you to to stop your responsibility as a husband or wife to your spouse. In fact, it is much better that you maintain a physical affection for one another so that Satan may not tempt you. So you can see that Paul is trying to avoid sexual immorality at all costs. Any sexual act outside of marriage, outside of husband and wife is forbidden. That's the message. That's the principle. Some people think that even today that withholding, you know, um, physical relation with your spouse makes you holier, makes you more pure. But that's far from from the truth. In fact, that's what Satan wants from us. That's what Satan wants so that we can give in to temptation, give in to to the sin. And that, you know, leads to lack of self-control, which opens the door for the enemy to come in. And as Paul was saying, to create chaos, destruction, separation within the marriage. And so this is the basic principle of marriage. This is what Paul is saying. To sum it all up, those who are married, stay married and fulfill your duty to each other. Those who are single and have no desire for marriage, that's good too, but use it to give yourself completely to God. If you struggle with sin, if you struggle with temptation, then seek after a marriage. Paul is saying being single is good, being married is good, but seek that which brings glory to God in your life first, whichever it may be. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just want to thank you, God, for your message tonight. Um, 